from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. Today, we are going to run down yesterday's game, which was a 9-7 comeback victory by the Seattle Mariners over the Minnesota Twins. We'll look at where they are in the standings. Talk about a couple of players, the the stars of this game, uh, certainly Julio Rodriguez, some of the things we saw from George Kirby. Uh, I will dive a little bit into Cade Marlowe and what I think his place could be on the Mariners long term. Mariners shuffled the lineup a bit. We'll talk about what that means or doesn't mean. And then uh, I want to take you back for a quick second to think about what uh, the Mariners bullpen history has been, or at least a couple of the the horrendous trades and, and bullpens and names that uh, old school Mariners fans will recognize. Because I think that the Mariners bullpen performance uh, over the last couple of years and what Jerry DePoto has been able to do with the bullpen uh, deserves some recognition. So, as I said, Mariners won 9-7. Mariners moved to 51-50. and they picked up a game on the first place Rangers as the Astros beat them yesterday. So Mariners now seven and a half games back of first place in the American League West, four and a half games out of the wild card, plus 29 run differential, six and four in the last 10. Really the star of this game was Julio Rodriguez. It wasn't just the two home runs that he hit, but it was when he hit them. Uh, he specifically in the eighth inning, he really did um, provide the spark and the excitement that the Mariners need. You know, Julio is, I think as, as Julio goes, the Mariners go. It's it's stating the obvious, Ron Fairley, but it really is true. I, this offense revolves around him, and Scott Service moved him down to the five hole, hitting behind Taylor Hernandez in this game. Uh, I was going to ask the question if, if this had anything to do with uh, Rodriguez kind of breaking out and hitting the two home runs. But of course, today's game started already and Julio's back up hitting leadoff. He's sitting leadoff because J.P. Crawford uh, got hit in the knee with a pitch and is sitting today. But it's funny because, you know, you dig and you want to think that something means something. and, And actually, I don't know, I think Julio's just up there hitting I do think when you move him down a little bit, it does take a little bit of the pressure off. But uh, in any case, Mariners lineup changed a bit. We will cover that in a few minutes. Uh, Cade Marlowe hit his first career major league home run. He went two for three with a walk, a homer, two runs scored, an RBI, and a stolen base. Uh, Again, we'll dig a little bit deeper into him in a minute, but he provided a lot of offense for the Mariners. He was hitting eighth. Uh, Colton Wong looks to be breaking out maybe ever so slightly. Uh, he had a home run two days ago. He went one for four with a bunt single, but an important one in last night's game. Uh, anything from him, obviously, is an upgrade over what he's provided. Uh, I still do still think that if the Mariners feel like they're in it, which I obviously don't, uh, replacing Colton Wong is is important, but if he can provide a little bit of offense, it creates less of a sense of urgency in dealing pitching for a second baseman. Cal Raleigh hit in the three-hole, which was a very interesting choice. Uh, he went two for five with the run in an RBI. 
And then Eugenio Suarez went one for four with uh, two RBIs and a double. So the Mariners offense looked better. Obviously Uh, the big deal was that they rallied back with four runs in the, in the eighth and three runs in the ninth to win the game. Uh, They were down at one point, they were down five, one and then five, two, and then six, two heading into uh, the eighth inning. So huge comeback from the Mariners. Uh, huge response from the offense after the heartbreaking game, uh, heartbreaking first game of the series. Uh, did not expect it. Certainly didn't expect the eighth inning. Uh, team showed a lot of heart by coming back and scoring those seven runs. It's this team just takes you on a roller coaster, as I've said. Uh, so the offense played well. Uh, George Kirby, very uncharacteristic performance from him. It was four innings, seven hits, five runs, one walk, nine strikeouts. So we are used to seeing Kirby strike out, you know, fewer than nine nine batters per nine innings, um, but putting up tons of zeros. And in this game, instead, George Kirby struck out a ton, gave up a ton of hits, runs, and came out after four. So kind of a reversal. But there are some very good signs from this outing uh, for George Kirby moving forward. Uh, So the big thing is that he threw 17 split-finger fastballs. Up until this game, George Kirby was averaging 3.1% splitters. And he threw 19% splitters in this game. It was tied for the second highest usage of his pitches with the slider. 17 splitters, 17 sliders. What is interesting to me about that is he throws he throws splitters almost exclusively to left-handed batters. And he's really stopped using uh, the changeup for all intents and purposes. So the splitter is now replacing the change and is giving a pitch that is looks to be very difficult to hit. Uh, he got five whiffs on nine swings on that splitter. 56% whiff rate on the splitter in this game. If he can get a pitch or ha- if he can incorporate a pitch that is a swing and miss pitch and that is effective as a swing and miss against lefties, he's really going to increase the effectiveness of every other every other pitch in his arsenal. Um, I think he's comfortable with that four-seamer sinker or four-seamer sinker approach to right-handed batters where they don't know if the if it's a four-seamer or if it's going to come in uh in on their hands. That much is clear. He is going to continue to throw the slider, not as much as slider heavy pitchers, but you're going to still see it. But that splitter gives him really a big equalizer against left-handers. Uh, in this game, his velocity was up across the board. Um, he ended up with a uh, sorry. He ended up with a thirty-one percent whiff rate in this game uh, on the season. It's twenty-two point four percent. So, uh, getting more whiffs, I think that was was in due large part to the split finger. But I like what I see. I like the fact that George Kirby is striking hitters out. I see that he gave up five runs in four innings. As I dug into it, that was very much based on um, not having a good command at the beginning of the game. He gave up a double to the first batter, Carlos Correa, on a sinker that was belt high. 
And on the outer half of the plate, bad location is what I, in my notes, gave up an RBI triple next batter to Edouard Julien. This was a belt high uh, fastball. He gave up an RBI single to Max Kepler that was just above the belt but and was middle away, but still a strike and right in the happy zone. And then he gave up a two-run homer to uh, Matt Walner on a belt high middle in fastball. So couldn't command the fastball in that first inning. That was very much the re- the reason for uh, him giving up four runs in that inning. And then in the third, when he gave up his fifth run, Max Kepler singled on a middle-middle sinker. And then Willie Castro hit an RBI single on a fastball that was inside on the inside rail, but belt high. So he was not locating where he wanted to, um, specifically with the fastball. And that is why uh, he gave up the five runs. But to see him expand his um, repertoire in the way that he did with that splitter is a huge revelation. It does two things for me. It Gives him, obviously, a strikeout pitch against left-handed hitters, and that's something that he's been sorely needing. But it also gives him something to make lefties think about that's not a strike. His command is so great that, I said this over and over again, that his command is so great that hitters get very comfortable in the box against him, knowing that he wasn't going to come inside, knowing that he wasn't really going to waste pitches. And so 0-2-1-2... Hitters were still comfortable, and I kept I was begging for him to throw inside, to throw up and in a little bit, to waste sliders low and away in 0-2 counts to right-handed hitters because I felt like it was something he needed to do. A split-finger fastball is not an easy pitch to command, and it's a pitch that even with George Kirby's command, I don't know that he's going to be able to throw it for strikes all the time, or if he's going to be able to locate it exactly where he wants to. But I think that's a good thing given how he's able to locate his other pitches. So it gives left-handed hitters something to think about. That's not a strike that appears to be a strike quite often and then ends up not a strike. So I just, I think it's a great choice. It's very, we all know the Mariners are really smart as far as, uh, pitch design and understanding pitch mix, but it's just another indication that they know what they're doing because they realized very much that he needed an out pitch to be more effective. He wasn't striking batters out. He was getting two strikes on hitters and he couldn't put them away. That whiff rate with the, with his quality stuff in command, having a below average whiff rate is not acceptable. It was clear that something else needed to change. And so the splitter is it for him. Um, I love it. And again, uh, despite the fact that he gave up five runs in four innings in this game, to me, it's a huge, huge step in the right direction for him. And I hope he continues with it. Julio Rodriguez. So Julio goes two for five, two home runs, two runs, three RBIs, struck out twice. But this is the Julio we've come to expect. This is the Julio that we wanted to see coming into the year. Um, the catalyst, the one that, you know, carries the team in stretches. And this is, that's what he did in this game. He really provided the juice, the enthusiasm, the power that this team needed to bounce back. Uh, top two 
Julio hit a home run off of Pablo Lopez on the first pitch he saw, which was a changeup that was located up and in. It's obviously, I think, a mistake location from Lopez, but he made him pay. It was only 96-2 off the bat, 35-degree launch angle, 379 feet, uh, 130 XBA. But the Mariners were already down 4 nothing. But it kind of, you know, it was a punchback. Even if it was a jab, the Mariners were swinging back. And I think that was a big a big deal to keep the Mariners in the game, at least thinking that they were in the game. Top four, he grounded out to shortstop, but it was 106 miles an hour off the bat. That's a great sign. And then top eight, when the Mariners scored uh, their four runs to to roar back and tie the game, Julio Rodriguez hit a third pitch cutter that was, uh, excuse me, he that was the first pitch was a cutter. And then a fastball up and out of the zone. Third pitch, the one that he hit for a home run, was a fastball that was up and outside, but it was still a strike. There's a pitch we've seen him hit a ton uh, this season. It's 102 miles an hour off the bat, 368 feet, uh, 670 expected batting average, but it was out to right field. He just he has power from from pole to pole, and uh, this was a huge home run as far as. Uh, the Mariners' momentum goes. Great signs from him, hitting the ball hard, hitting the ball, you know, pole to pole. Obviously, we love the fact that it was a, his first home run was a uh, home run that he got out in front of and hit out to left field because you want to see him be able to hit him pole side as he did in the Derby. I think it's not a coincidence that that was a changeup that he hit because he's very clearly trying to go pull side with off speed and breaking stuff and uh, to right center with fastballs. Typically that's his approach. He he hit a fastball out to right field. He hit a changeup out to left field. So Julio Rodriguez, we're hoping that he is getting hot, a very, very hot Julio and on fire Julio will make me eat my words yesterday about the Mariner season being over because he can single-handedly carry this offense for long stretches. If he is to get very, very hot. Uh, and then the other hitter of note is Cade Marlowe. He hit his first major league home run in the top of the fifth. This was on a low and away changeup that was a strike. Uh, Lopez had been throwing everything to him low and away changeups and curveballs. Uh, I think he kind of could predict what was coming at that point in time. But it's great to see a young left-handed hitter uh, hit a breaking ball that's outside out to um, left center. Uh, it shows that he's able to stay on that breaking ball a bit and hit it, um, hit it hard. So I like Cade Marlowe. He's, he looks very explosive as an athlete. He's uh 6'1, 210, left handed hitter, obviously, right handed thrower, really a corner outfielder. Um, I think he has the speed to play center field in a pinch, but obviously with Julio Rodriguez, it's not a, not a need for this team. But to me, he's a fourth outfielder with some upside. He's 26 years old. Uh, his hit tool is, I'd say at best is major league average. Um, I have it as a 45, which is slightly below average. He does have power that I think is a tick above average. If he was given, you know, all of the strong side platoon at bats, 
as a corner outfielder for the Mariners, say next season, he could, he could at his peak, I think hit 20 home runs, um, be a 2020 type player. Uh, comps that I have for him are Dalton Varsho and Mike Yastrzemski. Varsho is a left-handed uh, corner outfielder for the Blue Jays and Yastrzemski is an outfield left-handed hitting outfielder for the Giants. Neither of them play a lot against left-handed starters. Uh, Varsho, despite what people thought of him when the Blue Jays traded for Gabriel Moreno away for him in the offseason, Varsho's a platoon player. Go look at his splits. You'll see that he cannot hit left-handers at all. And he is a 45-hit tool, I think, maybe a 50 at best, but power and speed. And that's what I see in Marlowe. Um, but, again, athletically explosive, can hit for some power. Um, you know, in some ways, this is kind of a weird comp, but in some ways he's a left-handed uh, Dylan Moore without the ability to play infield. Because if you think about Dylan Moore, it's it's suboptimal or below average hit tool, slightly above average power, and good speed. And that's what we're talking about with Marlowe as well. So I think he could be a valuable piece if the Mariners do not re-sign Teoscar Hernandez and decide that they want to carry Marlo and they decide that Kelnick can hit lefties a little bit. Marlo could very well be a starting corner outfielder um, against right-handed pitching. Uh, it's not a perfect scenario, but I think he could play that role. So I like what I've seen from him thus far. He had a very good game, obviously yesterday going two for three with a home run in a stolen base uh, and a double. Fun player to watch. Keep an eye on him. We'll see what happens. Again, he's 26. So the Mariners basically have him throughout uh, his prime if they want to. The lineup. So the lineup that the Mariners rolled out yesterday was Crawford leading off. Eugenio Suarez hit second. Cal Raleigh third. Tail Hernandez cleanup. Julio fifth. Mike Ford, Ty France, Cade Marlowe, Colton Wong. Uh, the France-Marlowe-Wong part is standard at this point in time. If you're going to play Wong, he's going to hit at the bottom. Ty France doesn't deserve to hit higher than seventh as of right now. JP Crawford's going to hit lead off as long as he continues to take walks. We know that. So it's two through two through five, two through six that we're talking about. Uh, so Suarez in the two hole is, I think a bit strange, um, but they, they must, there must be something about him hitting with somebody in front of him that the Mariners like. Uh, I don't know if they think that he's going to get more fastballs with uh, J.P. Crawford on base or not, but uh, Suarez, they like in the two. Cal Raleigh in the three, I think that was more experimental. Um, he's not a three-hole hitter for me. I think his perfect place on a on a very good Mariners offense would be maybe six, uh, but they put him three for this game. Tails kind of been entrenched in the four hole for a while. So Julio in the five is the big one, obviously. Um, they dropped him, I think, to just take some of the, the heat off of him for a while. Woo! Did he just hit a home run off of Joe Ryan? Uh-oh. Julio's getting hot. So I got the game on in the background. He just hit a bomb off of Joe Ryan. 17th home run of the year, third home run in two games. I'm waiting for the... Uh, so 1087 off the bat, 26 degree launch angle, 422 was the projected distance, but it was to straightaway left field. Julio's getting it starting to get out in front of the balls. 
look out. <laughs> if he starts pulling, look out. He's uh man. This is gonna screw up the entire podcast from yesterday. Everything that I said about the Mariners being toast is uh <laughs> could get thrown back in my face if Julio Rodriguez gets hot. But great to see. Uh Mariners fans gotta be super excited about that. Guess you're not gonna see him in the five hole anymore. Uh, and then Mike Ford behind him, I liked a lot too, because uh, if he is to get on base, Mike Ford is a very patient hitter and you'd like to see Julio run a bit. I also think Ford would get a lot more fastballs hitting behind Julio Rodriguez because of the threat to steal. And as I've said before, Mike Ford is a dead red fastball hitter. Um, can't really hit anything else very well. So that's the lineup talk. Uh, I think the Mariners lineup is still in um, construction in a lot of ways, but I expect Julio to hit probably second uh, moving forward as long as J.P. Crawford does not go on the injured list. Last thing for this pod, don't take the Mariners bullpen for granted. Uh, if you're a recent Mariners fan, I get that we've gotten used to uh, – We've gotten used to Jerry Depoto building really great bullpens and on the cheap. Um, Mariners still have a bunch of bullpen arms on the way. Uh, you saw it with Isaiah Campbell. You see it with Prelander Baroa. But look at the bullpen now. You trust, Mariners trust, I trust every last player in that bullpen. Um, I don't, there's not a single pitcher in the bullpen who could come into the game where I'd say, you know what? This guy makes me nervous. I don't know if he's going to be able to get out of it. Um, and that's a credit to Jerry Depoto and the Mariners organization because it wasn't always that way. If you are a an older or more seasoned Mariners fan, you remember the days of Bobby Ayala. Bobby Ayala was one of my favorite Mariners of all time. I loved him, but he was the butt of a million jokes. My buddy Jake won. If if I brought up Bobby Ayala to him today, he would give me the side eye and look at me like I was nuts because he just blew up all the time. We had names like Lee Guterman. The Mariners traded away Derek Lowe, who I believe ended up winning an AL Cy Young at some point in time with the Red Sox. If not, he was a number one, a number one, number two starter for them for a long, long time. And Jason Veritek, who was one of the best and most popular catchers in Boston Red Sox history for Heathcliff Slocum. Could you imagine picked or trading away a very, very good arm, like a top 50 prospect type of arm and your former first round pick switch hitting catcher who could hit for power, hit for a decent average and, and really, really handle a staff for a reliever. Could you imagine doing that in this day and age, given what the way that people see relief pitching now? That's what the Mariners did in 97. They traded away Derek Lowe and Jason Veritek for Heathcliff Slocum. And I don't care how good Slocum could have been. You can't make that trade. But that is how bad the Mariners' bullpen was. And that's also how much noise the Mariners fans made about that bullpen. Also in 97, the Mariners traded away Jose Cruz Jr., who was the baddest, coolest dude, right? We got used to Griffey. We got lucky with Griffey. Griffey obviously kind of defines coolness with baseball for a more than one generation, more than mine. Uh, in a similar way to, say, Allen Iverson 
or even like a Michael Vick did in football. Griffey did that for baseball, in my opinion. But Jose Cruz Jr. was a close second, man. And for us brown folk, like Cruz was the dude. And I was so excited. I, you know, he was a young left fielder, switch hitter. And the Mariners traded Jose Cruz Jr. to the Blue Jays for Paul Spoljarek, who was a left-handed reliever, and Mike Timlin, who was a right-handed reliever. And so that's how how bad the Mariners' bullpen has been historically, was the Mariners felt the need to trade top prospects away to shore up the bullpen. And now the Mariners can print these guys, right? The Mariners need to find the teams that were the Marin- that were the Mariners of the present day version of the mid nineties Mariners to trade some of these bullpen pieces to get bats back. I want the Mariners to be the blue Jays of 97 or to be the Red Sox of 97 and trade away. Say they trade away a Paul Seawald or a Justin Topa or, you know, on down the line, Isaiah Campbell, whomever, because it seems as if they can mass produce these dudes. Uh, But just, there were so many bad Mariners reliever names that give people nightmares. I just think Bobby Ayala is the funniest one. Uh, Lee Guterman, Ed Vandenberg, you know, the list goes on and on and on. The what My favorite Mariners reliever of all time is Mike Jackson, for those who remember. But there have been some bad ones. So don't take bullpen construction and bullpen arms that the Mariners are able to produce for granted. Getting Andres Munoz in the uh Austin Nola trade, right? Getting Matt or and getting Matt Brash from San Diego. Getting Gabe Spire essentially off waivers. Taylor Saucedo, same thing. Rehabilitating Paul Seawald into an effective reliever. Like these are all cast offs. And now Munoz wasn't a cast off. Munoz was a valued arm who was uh out for the year because of uh Tommy John. And Matt Brash was considered a prospect, but not certainly not what he is now. So just don't take it for granted. I feel like when the Mariners have a lead going into the seventh, it's it's curtains for the other team because of the Mariners bullpen. Those of you who are listening to the pod who remember uh, how bad some of those bullpens were, Gary, Colin, all the old school homies that – that I watched Mariners baseball with just I'm sure you're chuckling right now because you remember how bad it was. Don't take it for granted. Um, It's one of the things that Jerry DePoto does best. So Mariners are up in this game right now. That's on uh, three, nothing on the back of Julio Rodriguez and Bryce Miller. Uh, Here's hoping the Mariners can win this game. That would take them to 52 and 50. We will see. Don't want to jinx it, but uh, thanks for listening. I know I've been on a on a roller coaster as far as my perspective on the Mariners season. Um, I'm still I would still be a slight seller at the deadline, I think, if we're being objective. But uh, yesterday's comeback was a big deal and it was cool to see. And the way they're responding today is is also a big deal. So we'll see what happens. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with a recap of today's Mariners game and a preview of the air. Corbin Carroll and the Arizona Diamondbacks. That should be fun. Thank you for listening to today's Mariners cast from Sports Ethos. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior 20. That's T I N O J R 20 and the podcast at Ethos 
Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Enjoy this midday game. Hope the Mariners win. Bryce Miller's a lot of fun to watch.